Good evening, Newark. I'm excited to be back with you again, and I'm excited about our topic this week, forgiveness. So before we get started, let's take just a minute and pray and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts for his word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together, to study your word, and to learn and to ponder and to meditate on forgiveness. It's a huge part of our walk with you. Help us to have our hearts open, our minds open, as we receive your word, and as we learn and as we grow together. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, as I said, I am, I think, ending our topic on forgiveness. And I have a, an interesting topic tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about forgiving God. Anytime we have expectations for someone a group, a person, a family member, a relative, anytime we have expectations for someone and those expectations are failed, then we have to deal with forgiveness, whether even with ourselves. And I know that all of that's been discussed this week. So as we start tonight, I want to take a minute and read a passage of scripture that, that looks at the expectations you and I and even scripture has for God. So we're going to start in Psalm chapter 18, verse 28 through 32, and I'm reading this one out of the net. Indeed, you are my lamp, Lord. My God illuminates the darkness around me. Indeed, with your help, I can charge against an army. By my God's power, I can jump over a wall. The one true God acts in a faithful manner. The Lord's promise is reliable. He is a shield to all who take shelter in him. Indeed, who is God besides the Lord? Who is a protector besides our God? The one true God gives me strength. He removes the obstacles in my way. Wow. Wow. What a powerful scripture. That's encouraging. That's uplifting. That makes us feel like we can do anything. God is with us in preparing the way. And it's true. We can look at what God can do and what he does do. But when we know what God can do and we know that God is faithful, God is just, what happens? Sometimes his actions don't always seem just to you and I. What happens when our, our expectations of what God can do and should do are disappointed? What happens when God disappoints us? What happens when God does not meet our expectations for a situation? In his, his action, or many times what we view as his lack of action, result in a painful situation. Something that we never would have wanted. We never would have planned for. And it seems very unjust. And if God could have stopped it, why didn't he? When this happens, all of us can fall into the trap of judging God. Now we're in a situation where God, we feel like, has done something wrong. He hasn't kept up his end of the bargain. He has the power to do something and he didn't. We can become like the Psalms, psalmist in Psalm 73. So I would like for us to take the next few minutes and do a close read of what it means to judge God, 
how that judgment affects us, and then how we can release God. Or in other words, how can we forgive God? Psalm 73 is a very popular chapter, but it's a chapter where only parts are taken out. We're going to look at the whole chapter and we're going to do a slow read. So I'm going to read the scripture. They're going to be on your screen. If you want to grab your Bible or you want to grab notes, let's do a slow read, take some notes and take some time over the weekend to meditate on this chapter and how it affects our lives and what it is teaching us. Psalm 73, one said, a Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts or motives, in some translations, are pure. Wow, that's the expectation of God. God is good to those whose hearts are pure, their motives are pure. They're trying to do what is right. But in verse 2, he goes, but as for me. So what he's saying here, with the context of the chapter, he's saying God is good to Israel. He is good to those whose hearts and motives are pure, but not for me. As you read the chapter, you realize he's saying, but as for me, it felt different for me. God was good to everybody, but not me. I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. So God, in his eyes, God failed. The proud who God, it says God will humble the proud. He, he despises the prideful spirit, but they're prospering even in their wickedness. So that's his first thing. I almost lost my footing because I'm looking at people that aren't, their hearts are not pure, their, their motives are not pure, and yet they prosper. Then verse four, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. So he's looking at a God who said that he's going to not allow the wicked to rule. They won't prosper, not allow the pride to be prideful to be in control. And yet here's what's happening. So God, obviously in his mind, God is failing. God is not keeping up his end of the bargain. God is not doing what God can do. Verse seven, these fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. He's looking at the wicked and the proud. He calls them fat cats, which is funny. If you think of a fat cat that's kind of laying around, they don't really do a, a lot of cats. They don't, they're known for doing their own thing. They don't really, uh, they're not really the obedient type of animal. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff, verse 8, and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. Wow. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. They, these wicked, prideful people, they scoff, they speak evil, they're not afraid of God. In their pride, they will do whatever it takes to look good. They will destroy others. They, they will climb the ladder, and the ladder is the bodies of other people. You know, They will squish others to have success. These people boast against the very heavens. They're not afraid of anything. They have seen none of God's wrath, none of God's judgment. They haven't seen this just God that we talk about 
He doesn't seem to care about us, is what they say. We can do whatever we want. And they strut throughout the earth. This is how the psalmist is viewing these wicked people. Now we have to look at the the same, in, in the Psalms, we see all these, and we've even read a scripture about how the might and the power of God and how he takes care of the righteous. Yet this person is seeing the wicked rule. He's seeing evil happen, and he doesn't see anything just happening. Verse 10, and so the people are dismayed and confused. So even the people are confused. He's saying, God, this you're letting this happen so much so that even the people that believe your word. They're confused. They're dismayed. They're confused. And now they're falling for the wicked people. They're they're just believing everything. They're drinking in all their words. So not only are you letting the people rule, but now you're letting the people become dismayed and confused and they're falling for the lies of the wicked. This is all your fault, God. How can you let this happen? Verse 11. What does God know, they ask? This is the confused people. Now they're believing the wicked. What does God know? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. This is true frustration. You and I have been here before. We've all been here where we see the evil, the wickedness, the success of what the wicked, the success of what's going on. We see good people hurt. And we say, does the Most High even know what's happening? Does God even know what's happening right now? God, are you paying attention? Are you listening? Are you seeing? God, you said you even numbered the hairs of our head. A sparrow doesn't fall without you knowing. And yet it feels like you don't even know what's going on in my life, the life of others. Do you not watch the news? This is where that psalmist was. He was, he was hurting and he was angry. Verse 12 Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. And this is this is where you see some more frustration come out. Because remember at the beginning it said that God does things for God loves and cares for those that are have right motives, right and pure hearts. Okay? He said, I so here's the wicked, and now this is me on the other hand. He's talking about I'm I'm someone trying to live for God. I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Whether it's emotional pain, physical pain. He could be hurt in his body every day. He has all these situations, all this trouble. He's in anguish. He's in pain. And then he says in verse 15, If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So he has all this turmoil on the inside. I'm not going to say this to the other followers of God. Because, you know, man, I would have looked like a traitor. Like, I, I didn't love God. I didn't believe in God. I didn't serve God. But it's all in there. I still have all of these questions. He's trying to fake it till he makes it. And it's not working. He's trying to say, I trust God and look like a, a true follower of God. But inside, that's not what's happening. He's angry. He's confused. And later on, we'll read more about what his insides look like. His internal t- turmoil. So... He's saying, if I actually spoke these things aloud, I would be a traitor to God's people. So in verse 16, so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. So he tries to maybe make some excuses. Well, this is why the wicked are prospering or or this is why things are happening that way. I'm going to make some excuses for God here. I'm going to let's look. Maybe maybe God's in this in his own human mind says, I'm going to try to understand why the wicked prosper. 
I'm going to try to, to get some reasons here. And, and God's faithful and I need to defend God. Uh, so if I'm going to defend God and I'm not going to look like a traitor and I have all this turmoil, let me make a list of reasons why the wicked prosper. That's not, but what a, what a difficult task is. We can't do that because we don't have the understanding of God. We, we don't, can't see the big picture like God can. We don't know what God is doing in the hearts of men. We're also not merciful as God is. We are not as long-suffering as God is. So when we try to take something we don't understand and we're going to make excuses for God, we just make it worse. What a difficult task it is. So now we have a person that is troubled. They are upset. They are overwhelmed and going to try to make excuses for God and try to justify why God hasn't done what we wanted him to do. And so now we add that difficult task on ourselves as well. Verse 17 is very popular. And this is where mo many times this we hear, read all of this and we stop at verse 17. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Bam. There's a great sermon right there. You know, Just come into the house of God. Let the Spirit speak to you. Let the move of God give you revelation and change, you know, and, and, and help you have understanding of why God is or isn't doing what he's doing. We, we hear sermons on that. Those are not bad. This is a powerful verse. It can go so many different directions. But again, we want to do a slow read and stick to the context here. We, and we are going to look at forgiving God. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Okay, so what did he understand? Is this whole passage about understanding the destiny of the wicked? Is that what this is all about? No, that's not what this whole passage is about. Let's read, let's read on. Verses 18 and 19. Truly you put them, referring to the wicked, on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff of destruction to destruction. In an instant they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When, I arise, when you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. So this is what he says. I go into the house of the Lord and then I remember, I, I see the destiny of the wicked. And this is the wicked's destiny. But that, again, is not the focus of this chapter. This is all in his head. Everything we've read so far is happening in his head. He's, he, in his head, we're, we're he, hearing the thoughts of the psalmist as he talks about the wicked and what they've done and the horrible things that have happened, the people they have hurt, the destruction on the earth, the pride, and God's seemingly in, inability to respond or lack of response, not caring to respond the way we expect him to, the way even scripture has said he will. Then he goes, our psalmist goes into the house of the, the Lord and he sees the destiny of the wicked. So we just read 18 and 19 and 20 that talks about what the destiny of the wicked is. But you and I know from reading scripture, as believers, it is not our job to rejoice when the wicked fall. It is not our choice to re it is not our job to rejoice and laugh and, and like the fact that wicked the wicked are destroyed. So what is this passage about? And that leads us to verse 21. This is the true crux of the matter. Verse 21. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. So this passage is really about the psalmist. 
He's had expectations for God. God, you do, I'll do my job. You do your job and everything's happy. I've tried to live with pure motives and you dropped the ball. You haven't done what I expected you to do. You are letting everything bad happen. The wicked are prospering. I'm barely paying my bills. I'm in pain in the morning. I have all this trouble in my life and I am trying to serve you over here and you have failed my expectations, God. And in verse 21, what happens when he walks? Let's go back to 17. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. But that's not all that happened. That's not what changed the psalmist. What changed the psalmist was not recognizing the destiny of the wicked. 17 says he recognized. He understood what's going to happen, the destiny of the wicked. But he had another realization. And this is the realization that changed the psalmist. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. Whose heart? Who, who was he bitter towards? He was bitter towards God. He was all torn up inside because he could not reconcile the fact of the expectation, the amazing, powerful God that he served and, and the expectation. And he is trying to live right and good. And then God failed his expectation and he became bitter. And until he went into the house of the Lord, he didn't realize that his heart was bitter, that he was all torn up inside. So it's important that we come into the presence of God. It is important that even when we don't understand a situation and we're angry and we're hurt, we have to come to God. We have to come to God into his presence to even realize what is going on inside of us. Verse 22, I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. So he's saying, God, I have been railing against the wicked. I have been railing against the prideful. I have been accusing you of allowing uh, people to become confused and fall by the wayside. And I have been accusing you of all of these things. And I was bitter. I was torn up inside. I must have seemed so foolish and ignorant to you. I was no better than the wicked. I was no better than the confused person. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. And many times we find ourselves there when we look at the world around us, when we see we have hurt in our own family. There are so many things we cannot understand. We don't understand the world. We have no ability to understand all that God does, and the ways. And we can't see into people's hearts. We can only see people's actions. And we all know that many times even our actions don't always really reflect what we're thinking. Our actions are because of some other hurt, some other issue. And God is having mercy on people. And while he is having mercy and while he is directing and working in situations that we cannot even see, bitterness can grow inside of us and we can be all torn up inside. But we have hope. Verse 23, yet I still belong to you. I still belong to you, this just God, this faithful God. You hold my right hand. Even in our fearlessness, even in our bitterness, even when we're torn up inside in our hurt, in our pain, in our anguish, God is still holding our right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Verse 24, I love that. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. 
Even when I was bitter in my heart, even when I was all torn up inside, I was foolish and ignorant and still you held my hand. Still you give me counsel and still you lead me to a glorious destiny. That glorious destiny can only happen when we are willing to look at this God who is just and not judge him and say, I don't understand God. I have been bitter. I am hurt. I am angry and I forgive you. And that means, God, you are just. I release my hold on any judgment of you in this situation. I not only forgive you, but I forgive the others. And that is forgiving God. And when we can say to God, I don't understand, but I know you are just. And I release to you the judgment. I will not judge you, God. I cannot understand. He can lead us to a glorious destiny. In verse 25, he goes on to say, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. When that bitterness goes away, when we're able to give it to God, we're able to forgive, when that we begin to heal and allow God to work and counsel us and work in our lives, we're going, we're, we're back to, oh, wow, I desire you more than anything, God, even when I don't understand. Then verse 26 his, we see his thought process has changed. That bitterness is gone. He has forgiven God. It doesn't say the pain in his life has gone away because in 26 it says, My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Wow. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak. But I'm not going to judge you, God. I'm going to trust that you are just. I'm going to trust that you are faithful and that you want to save that wicked person as much as me and that you are working. My health may fail. My strength may go weak, grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. My heart won't be bitter. I won't live in constant turmoil all torn up inside because God is the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. And in verse 27, those who desert him will perish. For God destroys you, destroy those who abandon you. If we allow that bitterness to take over, if we continue to judge God and we decide how things should be, it will destroy us. We will perish. And that was the road he was going down. If he had deserted God because of his bitterness, if he had walked away from God and abandoned God because God wasn't getting it right, it would have destroyed him. But verse 28, remember, Let's go back. Let's go back to the first verse really quick. He's the second verse. He's, he says, but as for me in that one, in verse two, truly God was good in verse one to those whose hearts are pure. And he says, but as for me, as for me, it's not that way for me. Those good things aren't happening for me. But then he ends it all. Now that he is, is restored, he is healed. He has forgiven God. He says, but as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. He has been taken from a place of bitterness and turmoil, judging God. God has not exceed, fulfilled my expectations. God has failed. He has 
He is brought back from the brink of being destroyed, the brink of walking away from God because he could not understand. And so he judged God. And he started out with, but as for me, in a very hopeless manner, but he ends this but with, but as for me. How good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. His vision has changed. He's no more longer focused on the hurt. He's no longer focused on the pain. It doesn't say he understands what God is doing. He now understands what was happening inside himself. Coming into the presence of God, now I have clarity about what was going on inside of me. And God counseled me. And God removed the bitterness. I forgave God. I said, God, I give you, I give you the right to be just, to know what is right. I release judgment because I don't have the ability to judge anyway. I don't have the knowledge to make good judgments. And when it was all said and done, he was released to tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Suddenly his vision is clear. He can say, God is good. God is sovereign. God is just. It is good just to be in his presence. And everything has changed because of what was inside. The outside didn't change. It didn't say the wicked changed. It didn't say the situation changed. It said, I changed. He forgave God, released back to God the ability to judge and make decisions and said, and now I can tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. And that is what forgiveness does for us. That is what forgiveness does for you and I. It removes the bitterness. It takes us to a whole new place where we can share our testimony. And people may say, but what about this? And we say, I don't know. But God is merciful and God is long-suffering. And God wants to reach even the person that hurt you. And we have to give him space to do that. But let me tell you about the wonderful things God has done for me. And tonight, as we close out this week on forgiveness, let's take a moment and let's pray and let God speak to us and ask God, show me my, what is inside me, God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the opportunity to study and to do a slow read and to see what you are doing in us, Lord. Look inside, God. Reveal to us, Jesus, what needs to change, God. Remove the bitterness. Restore us, Lord, and help us to forgive you for the things that we don't understand and to not judge you, Lord, but to put it back in your hands and to trust you, Jesus, and to choose to believe and to know that you are just. And you are righteous and faithful and true. In Jesus' name, amen.